You're listening to Innovation Fuel, a business podcast by University Canada West. Bringing you fantastic stories for accomplished entrepreneurs and key industry professionals. Let's explore the entrepreneurial world through local businesses and our university community. Well, I'm here by myself, remote, working out of the office, and my co-host, Galari, is MIA. Well, anyway, we're going to talk about something today. We're going to talk about the world of remote. And where is the future here? Are we going back to the office? Or are we going to stay remote? I don't know, but I think our guest here can answer our question. Welcome to a new episode of Innovation Fuel, brought to you by University Canada West. We are very blessed today to have Carrie Rock with us, the president of Guard RFID. What is Guard RFID? We're going to find out before we get there. Carrie, welcome to the show. So, Carrie, we got to know a little bit about you. We, we want to learn about more about Guard, uh, our, <laughs> and I'm going to get some to stir it would be Guard RFID, and we're we're going to get through this element, but I wanted to get to know you first, Carrie, and our audience needs to get to know you. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your background? So thanks for having me on your show. My name is Carrie. I'm, I've been in sales and marketing roles for the past close to 25 years. Sounds like a long time now, but... Um, I've always been in that space in technology, working predominantly with with sales teams, marketing teams, customer facing revenue generating teams. And throughout my career, I had the privilege of working for some great organizations and with some great people. And my responsibility has has grown over time and in, 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 in those roles, which finds me in my in my current role as as the president and chief revenue officer at Guard RFID. And we just recently went through an acquisition. So we've gone from a 40-person technology company based here in British Columbia to a part of a very large global company with operations in many countries and uh, you know over 50, probably 55,000 employees. So uh, b- big changes for us and some some exciting opportunities. Wow. And Carrie, taking on two roles, president and chief revenue officer, we're going to get deep into this. That's big responsibilities, especially going through that acquisition and adding on to that. But tell us a little bit more about the organization. Tell us a little bit about Guard RFID. What is it about? We just had our 16th year anniversary. So it was founder led and, and operated the CEO and the CTO were the original founders of the company. And up until the acquisition, uh, the, the CEO took that opportunity to retire. So we were a very much a customer focused entrepreneurial clever and nimble company with it with a great group of people predominantly serving the healthcare market in North America complex large market for a small company so often very much what I'd call a David and Goliath situation our competitors were multi-billion dollar companies and that's one of the reasons you know for the acquisition is it made sense that you know there's a lot of consolidation in in the industry uh, in in many industries but in the healthcare technology space there's a lot of that going on we provide patient safety and and staff security active RFID systems. So in in a nutshell, that's our own proprietary technology. We contract manufacture in Burnaby, BC. So we spent the last two years onshoring our manufacturing. Another thing, we were also a certified diverse minority-owned enterprise, which was another thing we were really proud of as a company. Obviously, some of that will change now that uh, we've been acquired, but 
for us as an organization, a very strong company culture, a very, uh, very dedicated group of, of employees that uh, I'm proud to work with. And uh, we've also been able to grow, grow the company. So, you know, my roots are in things that are customer facing and revenue generating. That's where my, my passions lie. But uh, in 20, November 2020, the, the CEO was, was looking to step back out of day-to-day operations and also focus on, you know, what would be the next you know, steps for the for this company and things like the acquisition and, and looking to go through that process. Due diligence and, and that acquisition process is is a lot of work to also keep your eye on the ball and also accomplish your your revenue targets. And, you know, the company had its best year in its history in 2022. So I'm really proud of what everyone did. And we got that done while, while still completing an acquisition. So that was definitely a lot on our plates and, and my, my plate included, maybe running over a little bit. But yeah, so exciting. I think this, uh, you know, secures the future of Guard RFID and the employees and so there'll be some exciting resources. Uh, we're now part of HID Global, which is which is owned by Asa Abloy. So a massive, massive companies, large decentralized organization, but with a real focus on growth and a, and a real desire to, to be broader and deeper in the healthcare sector. So I think it's a good bit for both organizations. Phenomenal. And Carrie, thank you for taking the time because this must be busy times for you going through all these moving pieces. So thank you again for taking the time to chat with us. But now you talked about a couple of different things. We talked about diversity and culture there. And now you're talking about the acquisition move. You know, I want to dive into this. I know you and I had talked about a little bit about this before around the world of service leadership, around the element of remote working and change to that remote working. And we've gone through this journey over the past number of years through this COVID changes. And I do believe you were, you were saying to me before that most of your team is remote. Mm-hmm. Is that so- right? So like everybody, you know, work just just stopped one day in in the office in in March of 2020. And um, part of our business, um, you know, we were a company that everybody came to work um, every day and that we we only had three uh, U.S. based employees that were home office, but they spent the majority of their time actually on the road. Um, So this was a big shift for us. And because we did a lot of our we're a, a product solution provider, so we provide a complete solution that includes hardware, software, professional services, and training uh, to our and, and, and consumable tags. So it's it's got four components to the solution. It, we typically were on site at a hospital or site to deploy these systems. And suddenly we had to change all our processes to bring all this remote. And uh, again, I can't say enough good things about the team, how quickly everybody pivoted and found ways around this. And so suddenly we found everybody was home office and, and working remotely. And we had to find clever solutions like engineers shipping prototype by courier from one house to the next. So the next guy could work on something that he was working on. And, you know, how could we, how could we do this long term? And then slowly we brought back only essential employees, you know, to keep mitigate risks. So obviously a shipper can't be shipping from home. Uh, you can't move the warehouse to your basement. So, you know, they, people like that had to go back in or people that work in our, in the lab where they're testing um, equipment and doing other things, they had to go in, into the office. So we spread everybody out and, um, um, you know, made sure it was safe. And then, uh, and then eventually about, I guess last sometime last summer, we said, okay, if you want to go into the office, you know, you're free to do that. Just let us know who's going, you know, when and where. And we were, you know, very, I guess we were, you know, very cautious and, and, uh, you know, wanted to keep everybody safe as possible. 
this created an interesting situation. Like what were we losing by, by doing this and what were we gaining? Because I, I do think there were some gains. And, you know, if you look at the, the numbers, we had our best year ever as a company. So clearly that didn't, you know, that didn't really harm us in, in any particular way. And in fact, some people, you know, felt very concerned about having to go back to the office. And so, you know, we, from a culture standpoint, we've got a very strong, engaged culture. We survey our employees and we actually maintained our culture scores and our employee satisfaction scores year over year, regardless. So the pandemic didn't actually harm us. And in some ways, in some categories, we actually did better. So we left it to employees to be empowered, team leaders to be empowered and decide what was best for them and their teams. And as long as, you know, everybody was relatively happy. You know, there are always going to be somebody that feels, you know, it's not quite fair. I have to go in, this person doesn't, or is it equitable? But I think because we're small, we don't suffer the same number of problems sometimes as larger organizations do. And uh, we did a lot of talking about it, a lot of meetings, a lot of transparency, um, a lot of conversations about about well-being, about mental health, about, you know, making sure that people were, you know, be able to balance that, you know, is the computer and working from home too tempting and not being able to shut yourself off and, and be distraction free. So I think, you know, from a leadership perspective, and my advice to all leaders is, is you know, make sure you're having those conversations and, and make sure you're not just doing something that's convenient for you in your lifestyle, make sure that that's actually equitable for your employees and that everybody feels they still belong and they aren't trying to fit in, that everybody gets a voice in this decision and the, and, and finding, I would say, a ways of working together. I love what you're talking about, the agility, and I want to talk more about your culture before I get into the culture. And I want to go a little bit further onto this leadership because leading in this kind of environment is a lot different than leading in a personal office space where you see people's daily activities, you see what work they're getting done. When they're, when they're remotely, you're not seeing this. So how has your leadership changed around the adapting to this online world and this remote working? Excellent question, because I would have said like my one of my, you know, one of my strengths was that power of observation. And I realized how much I did manage just by walking around and, and having those conversations. And, you know, how could I, you know, w- what would happen without that? Like, what would, what, what am I missing that I can't see, right? How can I see, you know, into everybody's house where, you know, before I just had to walk along the first floor or the second floor and, you know, you, you, you could see, see people and observe, um, you know, one, one, so two things we, we did. Um, it, it was a big shift because I had worked my whole career um, in in-person environments. I'm trying to think, I, I really didn't work that much uh, re- remotely ever before. So one was, how was I going to replace that, uh, you know, eyes on the people? Um, and and, and wh- how were the other managers going to feel about this? And how, what, what skills? So we did some training. Um, I, I lead a lot of the organizational development. It's just an area of interest for my, for me. I'm a, I'm a certified organizational coach. Um, and I, I love to figure out what makes organizations tick, um, and what makes people tick. And, uh, so putting those together, um, one, one of the things was making sure that cameras were always on, um, so that we had the, op, you know, we could see people. I noticed a lot of companies where they didn't ask employees to turn cameras on and you, you lose that connection. And in fact, some of my people will say, those guys don't ever turn their cameras on. And I'm like, well, that's too bad for them. Just leave your camera on and maybe you can encourage them to come out of their, you know, to, to surface and, and show themselves. So one, one was doing that. We, we, we set up meeting rhythm 
systems to make sure inside the organization that we had very regularly scheduled meetings and we didn't cancel those, you know, unless something was very dire so that people could come to rely on those opportunities for connections. In the very beginning of the pandemic, I was doing a weekly session that had something to do with either human skills, uh, well-being uh, or wellness. Every fourth was something fun like trivia or a yoga class or something. So we, we tried to come up with ways to, to, to make that water cooler, you know, interaction that you might get virtual. And then I did lunch with the president. So every three weeks, I would do a, a lunch, virtual lunch, you got an Uber Eats gift certificate, and you'd have a, a lunch with me, four or five of us. And I if, if people didn't have questions, I had questions predetermined. But I, interestingly enough, most times people had something they wanted to talk about. And that just went down a who knows where, like, what, you know, one meeting we, you know, talk serious talk about the business and the technology. And another meeting we spent an hour talking about gardening, you know, so it was it was it was very group dependent. We onboarded some employees in the pandemic, which, again, was wow, that wasn't our thing. We had never done that. So, you know, in a small company, we were worried, like, how will how will this person get to know the people and really how will they be able to, will they absorb the culture virtually? I have to say, I'm, I'm quite pleased. Mo- most did. And, um, you know, that didn't seem to impact them uh, onboarding virtually, but it did impact them by feeling very welcome. And so we insisted that people call them up, just like when you took a new person around by on the first day and you go office to office and then you couldn't remember the 30 people you just met in 30 seconds. So they had to do the same thing, but we did it by via Teams. That was one of their onboarding things they had to do was you know, call each person and, you know, introduce themselves. And I can't remember all the things. I'm sure there's some others, but uh, it wasn't just me. Um, You know, my, uh, you know, HR office manager, she did some of this, the team leaders, we tried to best replicate. And when there was opportunities to come in person, you know, when there was highs and lows of the pandemic, when we had those moments of safety, we organized like a, hey, let's, let's have an in the office day and just remember what everybody looks like and have some coffee and donuts and some thing to kind of bring everybody together. Last night we went bowling. So that was nice. The first time we've done a, like a high touch event like that. So uh, we did a couple Christmas, we did a Christmas lunch and a couple celebration things along the way when, when, when time permitted that we could, we took advantage of that. But this was the first time we had our US employees up to Canada and had everybody in the same space. So it was good. That is awesome. And I love the element of onboarding through online. It's just insane. I think that's an episode on its own. We should have a conversation about that on its own. Yeah, I I absolutely could, because I can tell you some bad experiences, you know, people had where they, you know, they, you know, just a box came to their house with a laptop and said, like, you know, welcome. And that was it. Like nobody reached out. And then, you know, and and a couple of those people that I was mentoring or coaching through that, you know, through that time, because I do a mentor MBA students and I and I do some work through the the UBC coaching program and and people one one person said to me she said, oh I wish I had I shouldn't have left my company you know because this was this was no better and now I now I know nobody and so it really depends and then other people you know I talked to they you know somebody said I'm the first employee they hired in Canada and I've had the most excellent experience with this it's just been wonderful so it's really not the person I think it's what the the organization in this case needs to step up to figure out how do you make somebody feel like they belong and how do you make you know how do you make somebody fit in not fit have to fit in sorry but belong and feel like they're finding their their feet in 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 the organization let's go down that pathway because we talked you, you talked before about 
this culture. But you also mentioned something about diversity. Tell us a little bit more about the diversity and the culture that is that your organization has grown with. Both myself and and the and, and the CEO before me, um, you know, believe strongly in in having a an, an EDI or a DEI, whichever acronym you like for equity, diversity, inclusion, or diversity, equity, inclusion. I think it doesn't really matter what order you put those letters in, but. I think that there has to be um, a strategy uh, in in today's day and age, but I will say there isn't necessarily a strategy at, at every organization, sadly. But I see that as those puzzle pieces. There's one thing of feeling like you belong as your authentic self and that you can be who you are. And there's another where you feel I have to fit into this model to be in. So it's like a puzzle piece, right? So you either click or you're trying to find a spot for yourself and you're, you're, you're guarding what you might share about yourself. And it doesn't mean people have to share everything about themselves personally. They don't have to share those details. Some people are sharers, some people aren't, but I wouldn't want somebody to be at my company and feel like they had to hide who, who they were or, you know, only share part of themselves or not mention, you know, uh, something, something about themselves or their significant other or something like that. And they just didn't feel comfortable. And I also think people not want to be necessarily the only person at the table and look around and not see, you know, other people that they identify with or, or relate to. So I think you get much better performance by having um, different views. And, and those could be of different things. It's not just all, okay, well, we need some men and some women, or we need some, you know, some visible minority, or we need some, like, it's, it's everything. It's age range, it's, it's gender, it's orientation, it is um, experiences that different people have had. And anything that I can do to, to help that, I try to do that. But of course, we know who's at the top of the pyramid in the power. And really that the, the, those at, at the very top really need to be helping pull others up because it's, it is, you know, it's ironic to me that, you know, we're expecting, well, how, how do the people that are marginalized help the people that are marginalized? <laughs> They're already at a disadvantage. So we got to think about this in a more logical way. Um, but, but everybody does have, have some power and, and some voice. And so the more that it's, um, I, and I think a lot of companies want to do something, they just don't know what to do. And so doing something is just, is starting the dialogue. And the sooner you start the dialogue, and if you don't know what to do, engage experts, there's lots of them out there that can and help you with these topics. Um, and, and I think the, the, the other thing the pandemic's probably done is I hope it has broken down some barriers for some people that just uh, couldn't get to a company. Like maybe you have a physical disability and you weren't capable to get to, you know, it wasn't easy for you to get to um, a certain office or, you know, the building wasn't accessible. So you just couldn't get that job or you were seen differently. Well, I think maybe now with the technology and we've proven people can be very successful from home, maybe you don't need to use, leave your home. And so maybe that particular segment can get a better jobs than they could before. Or, you know, maybe, you know, a single parent who was struggling with long hours of commuting can pull themselves into a better job and they can do better. And so I'm hoping that these are some of the positive outcomes. You know, if, if a company is truly a global hiring company and there's, you know, they can hire people in, in different countries or communities, you know, so maybe they can work remotely now that they couldn't have accessed that great job because they were in a lot of cases, you know, they were in first, these great jobs were in big cities in first world countries. 
So I think that might also be something that is going to be positive things. So I think there's like, there's the, there's what you control. So that's, you make a policy as a leader in a company who you hire and, and try to make that the least biased hiring policies and procedures inside your organization. Then there's what you can influence in your community. And then there's what you can't, but you still have a voice to make a decision to be intentional about your EDI or your DEI. And that's what I'm not seeing yet everywhere. So, you know, that that's got a ways to go. Well, and I think uh, you, you point out a lot of different great things, Carrie, there, because again, EDI is important and, and putting people at the center of your business, especially the people that are the stakeholders in your business are creating the relationships with your customers. It is so important to support them and support them in their life and support them in their journey as well as, you know, and more people, the opportunities to to be remote is, you know, a great element. And I think uh, I love what you're saying about EDI. And I think one of the things and I and I think that and, and I think you're kind of alluding to this element is that we don't want to do what we've done to sort of the green world, the greenwashing of things like just like let's just label it and say we did it. You know, let's Let's be intentional here. Let's make sure that we're doing intentional thing and that we're aligning these EDI pieces into our core values of our organization and the culture that we're trying to create at our and then making sure that we're being the voice to that to the communities that we're in and supporting around, which I love. I want to dive a little bit further before we, we sort of wrap up our, our discussion today. One of the things I really want to jump into, because one of the things is that is definitely changing is there's this now push to bring people back to the office. Now, what happens now? What is your organization deciding as this push moves into, hey, let's get everybody back in the office now. We think it's more productive to get them back. I think every company will have to make a decision for themselves. Um, will they be more productive? I don't know. I think there's some innovation benefits of some face-to-face -face interaction. The question is, is, does that need to be five days a week, you know, every week? I don't know. I don't think so. But I do think there's some benefit to bringing people together. So there are, again, some some collaboration days, let's call them that maybe you have some set days in the office. I think you need to look at it by team, by role. I would say, you know, my advice is always is always cautious into these things so that we you don't go all in and then pull back again. Like what happens if things, you know, if, if there has to be a change or it's not very effective. I think it depends on where your employees are located. I think it depends on what city you're in. And I think it depends on where your, where your office is and what, what amenities and what benefits are there to the employees working. Because if you have people that are highly productive and they're, and they're also very happy at home and they're engaged and they're not going anywhere and you can retain them because that's a big thing. The last thing I'd want to do is lose a high value employee because I insisted that they come back to work. And quite frankly, I wouldn't, ask somebody to do something I don't want to do. And I think that's a walk the walk thing as a leader. You know, if you have a boss that says, well, I, I know that you guys can go or you people can can work from home because I trust you. But these people over here, I don't trust them. So they got to come into the office. And what you don't want to create is an inequity in a and a two tiered system. So I can say, you know, working from home, I do find a lot of efficiencies with it and I quite, I enjoy it, but I do also like seeing, seeing the people. And this, this week in particular, we were in office, um, for the first time and, and it was, it was great. Um, I don't know that I need five days of that. Um, just because it's, you also need some, um, you can be more efficient at home and there's some cost savings and some environmental savings. We, we calculated 
how much uh, we saved on commuting by having everybody at home for the length of time. So from an Earth Day calculation, we were quite surprised and people are saving money. And right now it's it's expensive. And if you live in Vancouver and some big cities, it is not uh, it, it's it's not inexpensive, the commuting and the gas and the and the time and the, you know, buying, maybe buying food and stuff while you're out. So I, I like to balance these, these things and it, and it's a tough, tough decision. So I think a hybrid model is probably what I would advocate for. I would do it with some consensus and I would just make sure, a, you know, any leader or organization is, you know, really being, again, we'll use that word intentional and understands what they're trying to drive from this request of coming back in. It's quite it's quite a divisive subject too. There's a lot of research on it. I was actually reading stuff on Gartner this morning about it, and there's definitely um, there's definitely different camps. Yeah, you, and and you know I think it's going to be an ongoing discussion. But with this in mind, Carrie, let's you know we've kind of reached the end of our show. And what we like to do with our guests is we definitely like to have our guests throw out a challenge to our listeners out there. Do you have a challenge, Carrie? You think that comes to mind? Maybe around this. Yeah, I think, you know, how do you measure the success of the hybrid environment versus the remote? And does remote and home mean the same thing? So, you know, does remote mean I can go wander around anywhere in the world I want? And as long as I can get the internet and I can do my job, is that okay? Or is the expectation that I'm actually at my home office and I'm set up in a quiet space and that I have the proper environment to carry out the duties of my job? And so how does an organization define these and measure these terms to make things equitable for all employees? Because you you want to keep employees engaged, you want to retain them, and you want to make sure that they've got, you know, that they're bringing the right energy, skills, and knowledge to to the role that they do. Love it, Carrie. This has been outstanding. Thank you for all your time, your effort today, and the knowledge that we've gained. Thank you again for coming today. You're welcome. Thank you. That is another episode of Innovation Fuel, brought to you by University Canada West. Thank you for listening to Innovation Fuel. We are on all podcast streaming platforms, Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Visit our website at www.ucanwest.ca slash innovationfuel. Also, follow us on Instagram at innovation underscore fuel.